Good morning. My name is Tommy Allen, and I'm the lead pastor of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Kent, Washington, and welcome to our online teaching ministry. This morning, we'll be looking at our eighth in a series that's looking over the whole Bible entitled, you know, The Bible, Every Story Whispers His Name. The template we're using is the Jesus Storybook Bible. We'll be covering Genesis 29 this morning um, and the title of the sermon, both mine and the one you, if you read Jesus Storybook Bible, is The Girl No One Wanted. So before we do that, I'd remind you um, that we're starting to roll out our home groups on Sunday morning. If you're interested in that, you can click the link in the description and you can sign up for one of those. And now, um, before we enter in, I thought we would do a confession of sin and we will uh, receive the assurance of pardon afterward. So if you want to follow along, you should be able to find the confession of sin in the description below. So let us pray. Abba Father, I am overwhelmed by the mystery of grace that while I am most often unmindful of you, you are always mindful of me that while I am forgetful of Jesus' work on my behalf, you always remember, that while I am constantly reminded of my brokenness and sins, you, the all-seeing, all-knowing God, are able to forget them. I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen and amen. If we were meeting together corporately this morning, what I would do is give you a moment to confess your sins silently. If you want to pause and do that, or you don't, that's fine. But I would say to you after that, I would say, um, hear the good news. And the good news is this, is that he who became, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. And so I say to you, if you've confessed your sins unto Jesus, know that he is faithful and just to forgive you and know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Amen and amen. So this morning, as we jump into this sermon on the Jesus Storybook Bible, we're in Genesis 29, and I need to give you a little bit of background as usual with these kinds of sermons. And so if you remember how we ended last week was the sacrifice of Isaac, that God finally gives Abraham the land and he finally gives him the, the child who would succeed him as the blessing bearer. And then God calls Abraham to sacrifice him. And Abraham does, or at least he, he starts to, and God stops him and provides a ram. And ultimately we know that Jesus is that the substitute that God would provide for his people. And so the, the, there's a gap between what we looked at last week and this week of seven chapters, and a lot happened in those chapters. So, for example, um, Isaac gets married. Abraham sends a servant out, and the servant uh, finds a wife for Isaac named Rebekah. She comes back, and then Isaac and Rebekah um, have a pair of twins, a set of the twin baby boys. They're not identical, interestingly enough. One's name is Esau, and you, we know that he's sort of, he's red, and he's big, and he's hairy, and he's real super manly. And then there's Jacob, who's not necessarily unmanly, but he's definitely sort of a mama's boy, and he spends more of his time inside, if you will, and he also um, basically lives by his wits. The name Jacob means deceiver. And so as we jump into today's text, that's sort of the, the background, but we need to give you um, a, a little bit more both background and we need to, we're going to read the whole chapter this morning of Genesis chapter 9. And so basically we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the fact that the way God works, we're going to look at the universality of disappointment, 
And then we're going to talk about finding true love, or at least we're going to see one woman find true love. But we also could find that same true love if we want. And so, first of all, when you consider the way God works, that we have to look back again at the, the history of Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau. And what we see with regard to the way God works is that he always works through sinful, broken people. It's interesting. I've thought about it quite a bit. You know, you know the phrase that history is written by the winners. And if you and people say that, and so for example, if you read any of Egyptian writings, there's not a lot of reference to, to Israel or the Exodus. And some scholars say, well, that's because it didn't really happen. Well, if you were Egypt and, and you got your butt kicked, would you actually want to publicize that? No. The Bible, on the other hand, does record that story because history is written by the winners. But it's interesting that in the Bible, all the winners are really sort of losers. They're just sinful, broken people, and yet God works through them nonetheless to bring about redemption for the whole world. And so what do we see with Isaac and Rebecca? What we see are two people who are really broken and two people who, who really pass on a sort of generational sin to their own children. So remember Isaac and Rebecca have uh, Esau and Jacob and Isaac loves Esau, simple as that. Esau is Isaac's favorite. And God even comes and says that the of these twins, the younger will rule over the older or the older will serve the younger. And Isaac doesn't want them buy that. He's intent to make Esau the bearer of blessing. On the other hand, Rebecca, she's J Jacob is her favorite. And so you have this this conflict between the parents that's sort of like passive aggressive. You have this conflict between the brothers that's sort of aggressive aggressive. And it culminates with um, Rebecca coming up with this idea to completely deceive her husband, Isaac, and Jacob going along with it. And if you remember the story that basically Rebecca comes up with the idea that Isaac is now blind, so he can't see. She's going to use that. And so what she does is she makes goat hair skins and says, okay, Jacob, put this goat hair on you. That way you'll smell like your brother. You'll feel like your brother. And you'll take this savory dinner into your father and he will give you the blessing and we win. And so they do that. And so Isaac is blind and Jacob comes in and he says, is that you, my son Esau? And Jacob says, yes, it is. He lies to him. And so basically he gets the blessing. And as soon as he gets the blessing and Esau finds out, Esau, this big, hairy warrior of a man, swears, vows that he will kill Jacob. And so Jacob immediately has to flee. So here's Jacob. He, ha he now has the blessing. He got it. But now what is he going to do with it? It's sort of like, um, you've heard, you heard the cliche that, you know, that guy's like a dog chasing a car. He wouldn't know what to do if he caught the car. That's what Jason, Jacob has done. He now has the blessing, and he is in much worse shape than he was before he got the blessing. So through all this deceit and all of this sin, what's going to happen? Well, Jacob flees from Beersheba to Haran. Like he basically takes off northeast to go to his mother's family's land and to find himself a wife, but also to escape from his brother. And as he is going on the way, right before he gets to Haran to, to see his, his uncle Laban, he has this experience in the desert that, that God comes to him. 
Remember, he, he comes to him and he sees this vision of a staircase with angels moving up and down on it. And the Lord shows up and he basically reiterates to this broken, sinful man that you, in fact, are going to be the bearer of blessing, that my messianic seed will come through you. And so Jacob then has sort of a new lease on life, but he's not really changed inside. Not yet. You see, God works through broken people, but he also works through broken circumstances to break people. And up to this point, you know, Jacob is a deceiver. He is a liar. He has gone on the run from his family. And now God has said, you're going to be my blessing bearer. Now, on one hand, that, that should be like a moment to rejoice. On the other hand, Typically, what God does with the blessing bearer is the blessing bearer suffers. Remember, even Jesus, who is the ultimate blessing bearer, God, the Bible says that he was perfected through the things he suffered. Jacob also will be perfected through the things he suffered, even until his name is changed to Israel. So we see this sin, and God uses all of it to get Jacob basically to a place of humility so he can actually use him. Now, think about that for your own life. So on one hand, you, we walk around going, oh, I'm just broken. Oh, I'm just a sinner. That's true. Um, on the other hand, God works in and through us, in and through our sin, but also he works on us in order to break us, to get us to a point where we will actually be useful to him, where we're actually going to serve him in a way that is the best possible way uh, to, to advance the kingdom for his sake. So the way God works is through um, weak and sinful people. He works through generational sin. He makes a straight blow with a crooked stick. And so that's where the story picks up. So, so Jacob has got this vision from God. He's going to be the blessing bearer. And the next day he heads out and he meets the most beautiful woman in the world. And that's where we'll pick up and read the text. So let me read this to you. I'm going to try and do the voices for the kids as well. So then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we're from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. And he said, is it well with him? They said, it, it is well, see, Rachel, his daughter is coming out with the sheep. And he said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep, go and pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. Now, there's nuance here you might not have caught that Jacob sees this beautiful woman, woman coming. These shepherds are all around. And he's like, Hey, hurry up, water your sheep and get out of here. And they basically say, We can't because it takes, it takes all the shepherds to roll away the stone and we can't move until they're all water. In verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the mouth's well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So interestingly enough, Jacob apparently was very strong. Actually, Jewish tradition says that he was a giant, he was a big man, and he rolled away the stone all by himself because he's trying to impress the ladies. And so it says, then Jacob came near, rolled the stone from the well's mouth, watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. 
Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Now, just to fill in here a, a little bit, some of the things you notice here. So this story in some ways is very similar to the way um, Isaac found Rebekah. Except if you remember, Abraham sent a servant to find Isaac a wife. And when the servant came to the well, the servant saw this woman, Rebecca, and the servant prayed about it and he thought about it. The servant was very godly and he, he did all these things and he went and did all the right political things. Jacob just sees Rachel and that's it. He's smitten. He doesn't pray. He doesn't even talk to her, really. I mean, other than to introduce himself, but he doesn't know anything about her. All he knows is he wants her because of her physical beauty, period. What could go wrong? Right? And so she, he kisses her, weeps for joy. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. Just another interesting tidbit that we see through the whole story is we are never told how Rachel feels about Jacob. In other words, he sees her and he's like, hubba, hubba. We don't know if she loved him. We don't know if she liked him. We don't know anything other than in that culture, if he made a deal with her father, that's what she had to do. And that's exactly what he does. And so that leads though um, to the universality of disappointment that we find out here. Let me finish, continue reading. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely your bone of my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. And Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Like Laban, I always had this picture in my head of the real smarmy guy and old yeller who always comes and bogarts meals from Ma. That's, that's where that voice is coming from. It says in verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Now, so a couple things. Laban sees Jacob coming, and he's, he basically, he has his number. He knows that Jacob is smitten one way or the other. And also, it says, we're introduced here. It says, now Laban had two daughters, right? The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, what can we say about Leah that would, would be nice? And the answer is not much, right? To say that her eyes were weak, that, that is a sort of a literal translation, but that's probably a euphemism for the fact that Leah was really ugly. I hate to put it that bluntly. And probably most scholars think that she was either cross-eyed or that she was cockeyed, um, or that her eyes protruded, or something that would make her extremely unattractive. And some people say, oh, it was just that she had weak eyes, she couldn't see very well. Well, that's not how the contrast goes. It doesn't say Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had strong eyes. It says that Ra Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And form and appearance literally means she was beautiful in body 
and in face. In other words, she had a beautiful figure and she had a beautiful face. In other words, she was this sort of uh, walking, talking incarnation of all things womanly. And Leah, on the other hand, was the ugly duckling who was never destined to be a swan, right? Imagine she just being an ugly duckling and that's your lot in life. And so we have Leah who was was unloved and she was homely. And we had Rachel who apparently was gorgeous and a knockout. Which one would you take if you're Jacob? Jacob says, I want Rachel. I'll work seven years for her. Now that's interesting. Why did he say that? Well, part of it is remember he fled from his father so much. He has no money. He doesn't have anything. It's so the only thing he has to offer is his labor. And so he says, I'll work seven years for her. And it says in verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because he loved her so much. Now what Jacob hasn't gotten, he is so blinded by his love. If he had listened closely to what his father-in-law or future father-in-law said, um, he might have been suspicious. Because when he says, I'll work seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel, Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Do you know what Laban doesn't say there? Laban doesn't say yes. He just says, yeah, it'd be good to give her to you instead of someone else. He doesn't say, yes, you can do this. And so Jacob works seven years and he doesn't even read the fine print. He doesn't even know what's going to happen to him. What Jacob thinks in some ways is I finally had all this trouble in my life. I had all this misery. I had all this brokenness and I'm fleeing. And now finally, I've met the most beautiful woman in the world. And once I marry her, all my problems are going to be over. Have you ever met anyone like that? You ever known anyone like that? Look in the mirror sometime if you haven't. Right? All of us are like that. All of us think that if I could just have this, or if I could just have that, or if I had a, a better husband or a better wife or a better this or better that, my life would be better. And that's just not how life works. There is a universality of disappointment that all of us deal with. And Jacob is about to get a huge dose of it right now. So verse 21 says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So remember, they were betrothed, which would have meant they were husband and wife, but they had not yet slept together. And verse 22, So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. And that word feast in Hebrew uh, specifically means like a drinking type party. Like, in other words, Laban is going to make sure that Jacob is drunk by the time he gets to his wedding bed. And so it says 23, but in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Verse 24, Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. Zilpah comes in the story later. Verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah, right? And in Hebrew, that's awesome. It's like he wakes up and it was Leah. It wasn't Rachel. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week with this one, and we will give you the other one also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So first of all, the universality of disappointment. And, and Tim Keller had wrote a great bit on this, just how um, this cosmic disappointment even, when you think about um, Leah, 
right? So Jacob, imagine going, you think you're going to be marrying the most beautiful woman that you've ever seen and her sister, not so much. And you get drunk. And on the night of your wedding, you go in and it's completely dark and she's wearing a veil and you know each other and you wake up and it's not the woman you thought it was going to be. It was Leah. And you see every thing in our life we have those kind of experience in other words i you know you think i was going to have the perfect husband but now behold it was leah in the morning when we wake up when we make anything else in our life ultimate besides god it always turns out in the morning to be leah it always turns out in the morning to be a disappointment right you think oh i'm going to save for retirement my retirement's going to be perfect and then COVID happens it's Leah, right? It's disappointment. There is a universality to disappointment that all of us, you cannot escape. And so the question is, what, what are you putting your hope into? What are you actually looking for to comfort you, to give you solace, to give you meaning in your life? Because if it's anything other than God himself, uh, through the person and work of Jesus, you, when you wake up, behold, it will be Leah. Now, it's also interesting after this, what Jacob says, because, you know, I, I can I, I can identify with him. He says, you know, Jacob said to Laban, he says, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Now, what's so interesting about that last phrase, why then have you deceived me? That's the exact same thing that Isaac said about Jacob. In other words, Jacob, the deceiver, has been deceived. Jacob, the one who has lived by his wits, has been outwitted. That Laban is much better at this game than Jacob is. And so the exact same thing, right? Jacob went to his father who was blind, in other words, in complete darkness, and put a veil of skin on himself. And then when he called out, he lied and said he was someone else. And that's exactly what Leah, Laban did with Leah. Now, poor Leah, you know, so think about how homely she must be. So in the seven years that Jacob was working, everyone knew that Jacob was working for Rachel. And in that seven years, not one other suitor, apparently, had come to take Leah's hand. Otherwise, Laban would have given her away quickly. And the first opportunity he had, he got rid of her and he did it by this scheme. And he basically deceived Jacob. Now, why doesn't Jacob get angry? I always wondered that. I thought about that a lot this week. Why doesn't he get angry? Just divorce her, put her off, get put her away. And I think this is the first glimmer you have of Jacob's awakening to, to his need for grace that he sees in Laban himself. And it, and it disgusts him, if you will. And so he keeps this wife, Leah. But also Laban says, I'll give you Rachel if you work another seven years. And so a week later, he's married to Rachel. So he has gone for seven years having no wife to within seven days having two wives. How do you think that's going to work out? Not well. And so in the, in the face of this cosmic disappointment, um, is anything good going to happen? And the answer is yes, but it's not going to be obvious right up front. You see, Remember I said, if you put your hope in anything um, other than God himself to give you satisfaction and meaning in your life, you, you are ultimately going to be disappointed. And that goes also for family, right? In the United States and sort of conservative circles, I hear all the time, I see people post on Facebook that nothing is more important than family, that family is everything. You know, there's a sense in which my family members are more important to me than maybe some of you watching at some level, 
but my family members are not ultimate to me. Like, I, I don't think when we were kids, I, I would say that, you know, God, daddy loves you more than anything in the whole world. I would say daddy loves you more than anything except Jesus, right? I want that to be in my kid's mind. And so Leah is about to find out right now what happens when you make family an idol or you make sort of conservative cultural norms, frankly, an idol. So let's continue reading. So it says in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me a son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name is called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So first of all, right, the, the setting is this, is that Rachel, the, the wife or the, the woman that Jacob had idealized and he had idolized in his head, she's barren. She can't even have kids. And so the, the talk about waking up and finding out it was Leah. What about marrying the woman of your dreams and he finds out she's barren? Right. That happens even today. Right. Couples go into marriage and they think everything's going to be great. And then they have trouble with fertility. Disappointment. Cosmic. It's universal. Leah, it says, because she was hated, the Lord opened her womb. And it's interesting because Leah begins having not just children, but she begins having sons. And as she's having sons, the names she gives her sons reflect her longing for Jacob and her longing to be loved by her husband. And so she has a son and the first son's name is Reuben. And the, the name literally means a son, <laughs> but she gives us an interpretation of what Reuben means, at least to her. So a son, because the Lord has looked on my affliction. Now, perhaps now my husband will love me. In other words, in the ancient Near East, you were living the dream if you were married and you had sons. So look at Leah now, boy. She is, she is married and she has had a son. And she says, perhaps now, now that I've done everything that's expected of me, now that I've got everything in place that, that makes for a good life, maybe now my husband will love me. He doesn't. In fact, it, the, the words used of Jacob is they hated her. And so she has another son. And did you notice it? So the first one says, the Lord has looked upon my affliction. And the second son named Simeon, she says, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, he has given me this son also. So God saw that, that her husband didn't love her and he gave her a son. That didn't change anything. God heard that, that Jacob hated her. And so he gives her another son. What's not to like, right? Two sons now, still nothing. And then she has a third son, and she names him Levi. And she says, now this time, my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. I mean, she's just pumping out the sons and she's getting no love for it. 
You see, for her, she thinks that the, this perfect family has become, in some sense, an idol. That if she can just do the right things, and as long as her family is good, then life is going to be good. And that's not happening for her. Now, something else interesting is happening along the way here that easy to miss. As she's speaking, she says, because the Lord has looked at my affliction, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, um, because the Lord has done this. Well, the, the name she is using for God is Yahweh. In other words, it, when you look in an English translation and, and you see the word Lord, usually in all capitals, um, the Hebrew there is Yahweh, and that's the covenant name of God. That's the name of God that Israel would use. That's the name of God that he revealed to them, right? I am that I am. And here is Rachel, who's, who didn't isn't part of that clan yet. I mean, she is now by marriage, but she must have heard that. She must have heard of this covenant Lord, I assume from Jacob, and the covenant promises, I assume from Jacob. And so even though she is struggling with this idolatry of family, she's struggling with this idolatry of doing the right thing so her, her husband will love her, she's actually calling out to the covenant God, the, the covenant God who has made the covenant of grace, the covenant God who has promised a redeemer who would come and redeem the world. And at some point after having three sons, apparently she gets it. She finds true love. Notice what she says with, of her fourth son. In verse 35, it says, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Man, that is so big that she is just crying out, maybe my husband will love me. Maybe my husband will love me. Maybe if I do this, my husband will love me. Maybe if I have this son, my husband will love me. And then finally, she gets it that the God of the universe, the Lord of all grace, loves her. And so when she has this final, this son, she says, you know, this time, I'm just going to praise the Lord. That's it. She doesn't, she, and she's free at this point. In other words, her whole life, she's probably longed to be loved. She probably longed to be married. And then she got married. And being married to someone who hates you is probably worse, I would imagine, than, than not being married at all. And she's having sons. And she's getting no love for that. And finally, she understands the love of the covenant God toward her. And she says, this time, I will praise the Lord. And you heard the child's name. The child's name is Judah. And that child... That child would be the one through whom the Redeemer of the world would come, right? Remember in the book of Revelation, who, what's his name? Jesus' name. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah. And the Redeemer of the world came not through Rachel the beautiful, but through Leah the ugly. Leah the rejected. Leah the homely. Leah the unloved. Ed, <laughs> right? She was loved. Maybe not by her husband Jacob, but she was loved by Yahweh, the covenant God. And through that, she became the mother of the seed who would redeem the whole world. From Judah eventually would come King David, and from King David eventually would come King Jesus. And all of this through the girl that no one wanted. Let me end with this. You know, all of us from time to time feel like Leah did. We feel unwanted, we feel unloved, we feel rejected. And the good news of the gospel is this, to Jesus, you and I look like Rachel. That's not to put beauty on, on, a, on a pedestal, right? It, it, but what I mean by that is in the same way that Jacob looked upon Rachel and thought she is beautiful and, and 
means everything to me. That's what Jesus thinks of you and me, that to Jesus, you are beautiful. To Jesus, you are ravishing. To Jesus, you are loved with a love so deep that he came down from heaven, that he gave up everything so that he might pursue you. A love so deep that he gave his life for your life. And so I'd like you to take some time this week to chew on that. All of these things, right? That God works through simple and broken people that on one hand, while life is filled with cosmic disappointment, there is a God and who has sent his son who will never disappoint you, at least not ultimately. So think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray now as we look at this story of Leah, the girl no one wanted, that we would enter into it in many ways and see that just as you use broken people in this story, you can use us. And just as you can redeem broken people, you can also redeem us. And so I pray even now that you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and that that this message of the gospel would go from even this library in which I stand to the whole world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, at this point in the service, typically, um, I would say, please stand for the offertory, and we would sing the doxology together, and we obviously can't do that. If you're interested in giving to the Ministry of New Hope, we would love that. We'd appreciate that. You can do that by finding, you can find a link in the description, and you can follow instructions there. We would appreciate that. And for those of you who have been giving, and many of you have, I can't say thank you enough. That is just amazing to me. So as we close this morning, um, typically we close with some kind of profession of faith. And this morning I thought we would close with the Heidelberg Catechism, two questions, question 22 and question 23. And so the first question is this question, what then must a Christian believe? Answer, all that is promised us in the gospel, a summary of which is taught in the articles of our universal and undisputed Christian faith. Now, what does the Heidelberg Catechism determine to be the, the articles of our undisputed Christian faith? Well, it's the Apostles' Creed. So question 23 says this, what are these articles? The answer, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So as you leave this place, let me send you with this benediction, reminding you that I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.